Thanks a lot. Yes, uh, Johannes has mentioned, um, my name is Jens Ohlich. I'm activist with the Case Computer Club. Also, I dabbled in linguistics while I was in college, and um, these interfaces between language, literature, and uh, computer science, I now work as a software developer, um, they keep being very interesting for me. And, um, the, well, the reason why I decided uh, to speak about um, generating literature with machines was initially, um, I, I, I th also had the problem, you know, coming up with a connection to this conference, just like Sean Bonner had. Um, in German, the word for the humanities, for literature, linguistics, etc., is Geisteswissenschaften, and if you uh, translate that literally, it's ghost scientists, ghost sciences. So. What I'm trying to do here is um, uh, introducing you to an interesting piece of computer science that uh, has the potential to put a bit of ghost science, a bit of uh, literature in the machine. Actually, what I believe is um, we should use machines to write literature so humans don't have to. This is the future. <coughs> And maybe you, sh uh, you ask yourself why machines should produce literature, why they should produce uh, prose and poetry. And there are two reasons that I came up with. Because the author's dead anyway, according to uh, the French theorist Michel Foucault. The author, according to Foucauldian uh, theory, is uh, the product of a or a function of writing of the text. It's uh, just part of the general discourse. Um, if you look at um, how traditionally literature science, uh, literature critics looked at literature, they, they really thought that um, literature, prose, poetry, was something original, originating from someone very original, the author, the mythical author. Whereas in reality, this isn't really the case. Um, Foucault put it in his um, essay, What is an Author? Um, that way, the, the plays of Shakespeare are not written by Shakespeare because <clears throat> what generates these texts is actually um, a function that is part of the general discourse. Well, to put it very simply, he was standing on the shoulders of giants, but he was also, you know, part of something, a discourse, um, maybe a community, just like Sean Bonner um, mentioned it before, uh, that generated these texts. And also, I think machines should produce literature because it's more efficient. Um, I'm not alone with this thought. In the early 1980s, uh, an Austrian-German uh, writer named Peter Glaser had the same idea. Peter Glaser, uh, who, got, who was recently awarded with the Ingeborg Bachmann Prize, which is uh, one of the most important prizes you can win in, in the German literature scene. Um, Interestingly enough, he was also one of the founders of the Case Computer Club and served as an editor for the uh, Case Computer Club um, quarterly, 
theoretically quarterly magazine, um, the Datenschleuder, for some time. And um, when he moved from Austria to Germany, he was born in Graz, where he says uh, all the good uh, Austrian writers for exports are export are produced and um, then moved to Düsseldorf in Germany where the German new wave punk scene was starting. Um, he came in touch with computers and at some point uh, he really got bored of the literature reading circus and thought it would be more efficient to just send in a Commodore 64 computer and a stack of um, floppy disks to the um, to the venues where his reading is supposed to uh, take, and he called this program and called himself his his persona as a as a machine producing literature. He called that poetronic, and um, he really found that that he had more time to enjoy life when he just sent in a bunch of floppy disk containing his words for the reading. This being the early 1980s, he also gave the, the people at the venues a hard time setting up everything. Um, you had to have real computer specialists uh, to have the screens running, etc., etc. But I think he had a point there, and um, I think this is the way literature should go in the future. So how can machines actually produce literature? Um, he wrote a little program in BASIC, um, which used uh, an algorithm that I will come to later, but uh, the first idea most people usually think of is um, you know, just typing letters and words out at random. This is, um, the idea behind this is called the infinite monkey theorem um, that goes back to a quotation that says, if you have an infinite number of monkeys with typewriters, eventually they will produce the whole works of Shakespeare. Now, uh, interesting about this quotation is no one really knows where it comes from. In 1939, um, an, the Argentine writer Jorge, uh, Jorge Borges wrote a lengthy essay about it called The Total Library, he also toyed with that idea in his short story, The Library of Babel. And he really wanted to find out where this idea of infinite monkeys with typewriters came from. And um, eventually he didn't find out either. Um, he uh, traced back the idea to very early sources like Aristotle, Cicero, and um, Blaise Pascal, Jonathan Swift, there were all, this idea was mentioned uh, in one form or the other in, in all these people's works. And then in the 20th century, suddenly the technology of the monkeys changed to typewriters. Um, and by 1939, the quotation became, if you have um, just a bunch of monkeys with typewriters and infinite um, amount of time, eventually they will produce every single work in the British Library. To what Borges added, well, actually, you don't need a bunch of monkeys. In theory, just one immortal monkey would be enough. Now, this infinite monkey theorem um, was tested in practice, 
and the results were, unfortunately, um, there is a site called the Monkey Shakespeare Simulator, which runs a Java applet that just randomly generates letters and words. And um, ever since the site came into operation, I think 1990-something, uh, it has uh, made it to 24 characters that are actually from the works of Shakespeare. These are rumor, open your eyes, uh, you open your ears. So that's the result so far. Well, you can mathematically say that, yeah, almost certainly, given enough time and given enough monkeys and enough typewriters, um, the complete work of Shakespeare will emerge if you just type randomly on, on typewriters. In practice, the chances for that, the probability is just too small. In 2003, another uh, experiment with real monkeys was carried out. They used six uh, monkeys, but their contribution was yeah, five pages consisting largely of the letter S. Maybe this uh, infinite monkey theorem works better in theory than in practice. And if we want to have machines that generate literature, we should have another approach. And this different approach usually uses templates. This is also what uh, Peter Glaser used in uh, generating literature with uh, his basic program. And um, this is also something that people do as a party trick or something. Having a little story, a fable in this case, and adding an adjective and another adjective and another adjective, uh, maybe an exclamation uh, over there. And, um, yeah, in the end, you need uh, three nouns, and then you come up with a surprising story. Usually it works this way that you ask people for, tell me an adjective, tell me a noun, tell me an exclamation, and then you just fill in the blanks of these templates. Um, and then you have... Um, personalized story using a template. These results are usually quite fun, but um, this is just, you know, not, this is just boilerplate literature, not very uh, interesting. Nevertheless, there have been many approaches to this template-based uh, generating literature thing. There's a program called Madlib. There is also a very interesting program called Rector, which is short for uh, raconteur, uh, which was written in the early 80s. And uh, Rector was a CPM program that eventually even um, published a whole novel, um, yeah, written in 1984 by Chamberlain and Etter. There was later an Apple II program called Rector that was published. Um, however, it, has, it is very clear that well, with the Apple II program, you couldn't uh, generate a novel like the one that was published before that. So uh, there's a kind of suspicion around that, whether that program really existed, no source code um, is available, and the commercial version for the Apple II was just too primitive. However, the novel by Rector, The Policeman's Bad, is half-constructed, is still rather interesting to read. More than iron, more than lead, more than gold. I need electricity. I need it more than I need lamb or pork or lettuce or cucumber. I need it for my dreams. That's John 
excerpt from this novel. Another program that most people, I guess, have heard about is ELISA by uh, Joseph Weizenbaum, um, which was supposed to make a point uh, about um, how artificial intelligence cannot effectively uh, communicate with people, and it was supposed to be a parody program, um, being a parody of a psychologist, uh, psychoanalyst, actually. However, the, the results were rather stunning. Several people that tried out ELISA um, at some point or the other really thought they were talking to a real person, a person that would understand them. And uh, at one point, uh, Secretary of Weizenbaum, who tried out this program, asked Weizenbaum to leave the room because now the con uh, conversation was getting really personal. Um, and eventually that led uh, Weizenbaum to his critique of, uh, you know, the uh, hopes uh, in artificial intelligence and how society deals with artificial intelligence. Um, and Eliza spawned the whole genre of chatterbots that we see today, uh, programs that can interact with people through chat. There are bots on... Um, AIM on Jabba, IRC, you name it. Uh, the most interesting idea I found was um, an idea to generalize chatterbots through a markup language called Artificial Intelligence Markup Language, or AIML, which is just an XML format for having templates and giving reactions to these templates. I will give you a short example. Oh, yeah, no, this is a... Okay, I give, we'll give you a short example of what you can achieve with um, AIML first, uh, with a chatterbot called Alice. There's an annual award, the Lübner Award, um, which um, is uh, a practical tryout of the so-called Turing test, the Turing test being a test for artificial intelligence um, Conversations. Um, so, and it is. Uh, it was uh, proclaimed by Alan Turing that um, we will, at some point, have machines that can do conversations with humans um, in a way that you cannot, you know, um, find out who is the human and who is the robot. This is the so-called Turing test, and there's a. Um, a Loebner, there's the so-called Loebner Award every year where uh, programs uh, that are supposedly good enough to pass the Turing tests are put against um, human judges and then the judges have to guess who the human is and who the robot is. The results so far are amusing at best and uh, there are, there's actually no program that, that passes the real Turing test but there are some hopeful ideas. This is an excerpt of a judge talking to the AIML-based chatterbot Alice. And Alice starts with, Hello, my name is Alice, I am, and I am the human. And the judge says, What's happening, Alice? Not much, Judge 4. What is happening with you? As you are sitting in front of your computer screen, you may be wondering if I am a computer or a person talking. And the judge says, Well, oddly enough, I had already almost made up my mind about that before we began our conversation. 
Alice. How about that? How did you hear about Alice? As you hear the sound of keys typing, you may begin to feel more comfortable chatting with me. And Judge says, are you the famous Alice of Richard Wallace fame? Richard Wallace being the programmer of the chatterbot. Or am I not supposed to ask it all right? And then Alice gives it all away <laughs> immediately. I don't know how that ended up in the database. Yes, I am the one and only Alice of Richard Wallace fame. Oh, I really don't know whether you are or not. The feel of the keys on the tips of your fingers may remind you of some question you wanted to ask me about. So I think at this point uh, the chatterboard was kind of exposed. <laughs> And this was one of the, of the better examples. So AIML basically looks like that. You have everything split up in categories. And within these categories you have patterns um, that get passed and... Um, Then um, you also have some kind of uh, weird recursive thing that you can apply. So uh, whenever s someone uh, starts a sentence with, can you elaborate on something, then it is uh, passed to the pattern for what is something. And also, can you elaborate on that is passed to explain. Can you eliminate something, then can you die. <coughs> And can you email something, uh, gets the answer, sure, I can email. What's your email address? The database for Alice is um, pretty impressive, contains uh, a lot of things about uh, what normal people should know about sports, technology, politics, um, everyday facts, and so on. Usually these judges in the Loebner Prize competition start asking things like, uh, can we talk about windsurfing? Or what do you think what was on TV last night? And then uh, they find out who the robot is pretty, pretty easily because um, real-world knowledge is pretty hard to implement. So another idea to use instead of um, templates is Markov chains. This is an approach that I find much more interesting for generating literature. And uh, oddly enough, it's, it's also pretty hard to explain. So when you um, pick up a um, computer science book like uh, The Art of Computer Programming by Donald Knuth, um, <clears throat> you see a lot of uh, mathematics and, and stuff um, trying to explain to you uh, what Markov chains are. Markov chains are a sequence of random variables x1, x2, x3 with the Markov property that means given the present state, the future and the past states are independent and you can see the formal definition for that. And uh, can I see your hands? Who in the audience understood what Markov chains are now after this explanation, after this explanation and didn't know before? Well, anything. anyway, I think um, there should be an, an easier explanation for Markov chains. I think we should make it a lot easier taking Candyland. Candyland is a uh, board game for children. Uh, in German-speaking countries, maybe an equivalent would be Mensch ärger dich nicht. It's usually the first board game that children in the U.S. learn to play. It's um, pretty stupid. It's actually a racing game. Whoever gets uh, to the end first wins. 
uh, skills involved are almost none. Uh, some basic counting, and yeah, you have to have to know the colors. Um, but that's it. Candyland is a good example of a Markov chain. Why that? First, the whole game is a random process. And at every step you take in this game, the state of the game is not uh, directly dependent on um, the previous states. So when you put your token in Candyland on a field, then... Uh, the probability for moving to any other to uh, any other field are you know negotiated again it's not like because well if it if this was a, a dice game it's not like because i threw um i, I rolled the dice with a, a five three times before that now the probabilities that i will roll a six are higher or lower at every state of the game the probability for moving a certain numbers of places um, are, this, um, are independent of what happened before that. And this is a property that uh, you don't have in all the games, for instance, in most traditional card games, say in poker. It's important to know what cards were played before. And if you can remember what cards are played before, you can... Um, yeah... Uh, you can guess the probability of the next card being played. Whereas in a, in a Markov process, in a Markov chain, at every step, the probabilities are, you know, negotiated again. So I think Candyland uh, is maybe a better model you should keep in mind when understanding Markov chains than this. Markov chains are used for various interesting things like weather prediction, other stuff as well. There are a lot of uh, random or uh, pseudo-random processes that have the Markov uh, property or are Markov chains, actually. And you can also think of a text by an author being a Markov chain, being a game of Candyland. Usually a text starts, or always a text starts with a word, and then an, another word follows that, and then another word follows that. Now, <clears throat> if you take these words, just like in Candyland, there are various directions that you can take. Sometimes you can, you can make shortcuts and um, create a wholly different game or create a wholly different text. So if you have the word the in a text then um, this word, the, could be followed by various other states and um, you just roll your dice and then you land on another, on another field. What I tried to do was um, taking a source text and generating another text out of it using Markov chains. And um, what I wanted to do was a machine that writes uh, Adorno essays, essays by... Theodor Wiesengrund Adorno. The source that I took was um, an essay by Adorno called um, Antisemitism and Fascist Propaganda, formerly hosted on a site called text.com. <coughs> text.com 
is uh, or was a site that was run by Sebastian Nüttgert of Berlin, uh, activist in open source theory, um, theory of um, the digital age, etc. And he ran two sites. One of them was Gnutenberg and the other one was text.com where he published a library of interesting theory texts. Among them were texts by neo-Marxist um, theorist Theodor Adorno. And uh, with this particular author, he had a bit of bad luck. Now, <clears throat> Adorno, among other things, criticized uh, value, uh, formulated some kind of value critique and criticized the way that um, late capitalism can turn anything in a commodity that is uh, to be sold. But ironically, the people who inherited uh, the rights to his sex, well, maybe they didn't even read the text of Adorno himself because they asked uh, text.com to take that essay offline. Um, Sebastian Lütgert, who was behind that site um, at that point, was in New York City, didn't get the mail, and the next thing that he heard was that he was sent to prison for copyright infringement because he published Marxist, uh, neo-Marxist texts online um, because um, the society that um, wanted, uh, that uh, held the copyright to Adorno essays asked him um, had asked him to, to remove that text and he didn't um, answer back. So a judge ruled uh, that he had either to pay an obscene amount of money or go to prison. Um, interesting, an uh, Austrist, uh, Austrian art group called Monochrome um, um, did a little bit of activism on that case. And um, this being the internet, of course, the essay never went away. It went away from the original site, but it uh, didn't went it didn't go away from the internet. Um, it was uh, a piece of cake to Google it a few days ago and use it as an input for the Markov chain. Now we take this Adorno essay and um, first we break it up into a Markov chain. Uh, wrote a little Ruby program for that. Just I don't. I will just go over this briefly. Anyway, how it how it works is um, for this particular uh, algorithm, we use a two-word prefix. So uh, we don't look at the followed by something, but uh, we look at the in connection with something followed by something other, and then we build up uh, a structure of um, how two words are followed with any alternatives in this particular text. So this is a really tiny excerpt of the underlying structure of this Adorno essay. Um, at that point, I, I looked at um, the word the in a special context, and um, we can see that uh, there's a, an array following the. That, that means that um, in this particular essay, the was followed with the same probability by either demagogues, demagogue, mentality, agitator, propaganda, demagogues, propagandists, propaganda, agitators, 
full stop, ritualistic, ritual, ritual, full stop, propaganda, west or spirit, full stop. So if we look back at our game of Candyland, that would mean um, once we come to the field that is labeled the, we just roll the dice and uh, we pick the number that is on the dice and then pick the word that follows that and write that out. So this is a, a full implementation of um, Markov chain algorithm taken from the practice of programming by Cunningham Pike, uh, written in Perl. Works like a charm. Looks pretty ugly. Anyway, it's uh, it's basically the same mechanism that I used in in the Ruby implementation before. Um, goes through the text, uh, collects an array, uh, collects a hash. Uh, that contains an array of all the words that can follow two specific words and then um, starts at a random point and starts generating texts that look almost like Adorno um, and, and, and follow this probability of the um, Adorno essay that I used as an input. And then we get instant Adorno, which I would like to read out to you. The observations contained in this tingling backbone device is evident. To a certain West Coast agitators again and again, but different speakers use the same characteristic word in two propositions, which are log logically quite unrelated. This method, not only to the world, that there are patriots, God-fearing Christian men and women who are taught above all the amazing stereotypy of all agitators, as, as was apparently the case on the West Coast, but the reason must be paid to the destructiveness as the lone wolf device, the idea of a hell unless we pro proclaim the fact that its followers will be cheated in the world and they always employed what strikes us as false tones. We find similar manifestations regularly in drunkards who have lost their inhibitions. The sentiment uh, sentimentality of the orators and the listeners will know who is as weak as their brethren Brethren, but who dares to confess his weakness without inhibition and is consequently going to be self-effacing and to shed tears persistently attacking the behavior pattern of popular songs and get furious if the threat is carried out, an incident that never occurs. These patterns are standardized for psychological reasons. first question people usually ask is, uh, but does this generate grammatically correct texts? Uh, not really, because um, randomness doesn't care about grammar, but I find it amazing um, how much, um, yeah, how much, um, how many uh, grammatically correct sentences uh, or somewhat grammatically correct sentences you can uh, um, generate with a simple algorithm like that. So in conclusion, I think machines can generate interesting literature and uh, you should go and write your own Foucauldian author function being part of the discourse. Um, and I think uh, we can all hope that the next J.K. Rowling will be a cyborg. With the um, Adorno thing I wrote, it spit out... Uh, pretty hard to understand, somewhat incoherent uh, essay, and I think, yeah, this is a pretty good Adorno simulator. <laughs>
Thank you very much. Okay. There are probably a couple of questions from the audience uh, for Jens. I was wondering if you could talk about Mark V. Shaney for a bit, if you know much about it. Yeah, that's, um, that's a program that, that uses the Markov chain algorithm, and it was, uh, as far as I know, it was used on Usenet to uh, generate a lot of humorous posts, right? Yeah, I'm, I don't remember the actual story, but they took all of net.singles for the day and fed it through and then created a post, and it was interesting because, well, it was readable, but it was also topical because it was just based on what people were talking about for the day. So whatever the post was, even if it was generated randomly, is still relative, relevant to what people were talking about. So. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how um, how good these parodies can get when the input is actually random. Um, it, it keeps amazing. It's a really amusing thing. And if you are into programming, you should definitely try to, to write a program using Markov chains and run it over your favorite text and see how much of it is really boilerplate and um, um, yeah, makes you w wonder about uh, how much in a text is really creative and how much is, can be generated at random. Well, I wonder about <coughs> running like a, you know, a slash dot thread through it and then mm. using it to get the general feel for what people are talking about. Yeah, we have a suspicion. We, we have the Case Communication Congress every year that, uh, where we have a call for papers, and um, um, a lot of papers are submitted. And this year we had three submissions um, that didn't make sense but had the right keywords and buzzwords and were talking about innovation in operating uh, systems and stuff. And uh, we have a strong suspicion that these texts were generated automatically with keywords that fit to previous submissions to our Congress. And <laughs> we wrote back to, to the person submitting these things um, that we, of course, would not um, take his um, submissions that were nonsense. But he could talk about generating text automatically, but he never wrote back. Okay, um, a couple of years ago, we tried to, to experiment a little bit with Markov chains, and I found out uh, with my experiments that uh, children's literature is really good for doing Markov chains because uh, just of like the vocabulary they use, children's literature and, and porn, that like no offense with that, but it's good, like even if you combine them, there's really interesting stuff coming out of that. So Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe as, um, if, if the genre is really really contains a lot of boilerplate and uh, is really a template where you just fill in then the little animal variable went to some place and met another animal variable then you can easily and conveniently generate that uh, literature automatically. Okay, more questions? Yeah, just a comment. Uh, for those who want to play around a bit with creating text, there's also I can recommend a nice web interface. It's called the Shannonizer. I don't know whether you heard of that. It has basically the same, and you can um, have your your homepage or arbitrary texts uh, reinterpreted by, for example, Lewis Carroll or God. They they have the Bible in, included and something like that. It's called the Shannonizer. There are lots of interesting websites out there. Uh, for instance, there's the Markov Bible, 
uh, which um, would yeah you can just use a random book uh, from the Christian Bible and uh, then it will generate another holy text out of it. That would be a cool idea for like a web 2.0 site to just generate your own Bible with markup chains and then found your sec.com yeah. <laughs> and get much members. <laughs> yeah, that would be would be one one way to monetize it, yeah. But could you like write a plugin that will use the markup chains on like blog posts or something and then write automatic comments using that? Um Actually, Markov chains are used by spammers today. Um, um, the more I learn about spammers, the more respect in a perverse way I get for them because they seem to be um, both morally very, very bad people and at the same time very intelligent people um, using all kinds of fun uh, technology and um, a lot of the sites that are used to, to spam the Google index are generated by Markov chains. Um, so when Google comes along, it sees a text that somehow makes sense and then indexes it. Um, that's one efficient way to, to spam Google. And um, I think some of the email spam that we received is also generated with Markov chains. So um, uh, I think when you when you uh, say to a computer, to a machine, for example, uh, write down a text with 200 words and you give him all the words in, uh, we know, for example, in English, all English words, and you say, uh, just write down a text with 200 words uh, with all that words. Or maybe you take uh, all the words, uh, words we have for the English language, then you write down lots of texts because he can, without sense, with, with no rule before, just write down everything. And then maybe he will write uh, uh, books of English authors or so, I think, maybe. But who wants to read all this um, stuff? That would be step two, um, having machines read books so humans don't have to. But that's maybe a question for like the startup guys. <laughs> uh, just occurred to me I, a while ago, I... I made a little app called Cat2Go, which was an interface for texting with a, a virtual cat. And it basically, if, if you, you told the cat to do something and didn't know what to do, it would ask you what it should do. And it just occurred to me that you could crowdsource um, like books or literature in some way of being able to, to send out. It would, I just think that it just occurred to me that that would be an interesting way of including different variables. And, but that's more of the template set than the Markov chain, I guess. Um, I'm interested in hearing more about these uh, texts that were generated for children's literature and porn and how it was determined that they were, I guess, good categories for this. Like, I mean, it's all about randomness and this, like, things. It was just like a good stock of vocabulary to play with because they were so simple. Because, uh, like, the vocabulary in, in children's literature was extremely simple. It's like table and pig and... Uh, and and the, the vocabulary in porn is ex extremely, like limited most of the time. So that worked pretty well, I guess. I mean, I saw it. It worked good. <laughs> but just like as a, a, like a, a stack of vocabulary, there's no moral value in that, no. It seems no more questions. So thank you very much, Jens Olik. <laughs>